I'm Jack Zemlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2019 Strip Till Farmer podcast series. In today's program, we share some expert advice and recent research on how a specialized cover cropping plan can combine with strip till and no till. If this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. And a reminder that by subscribing, you'll be able to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Thanks again to TopCon Agriculture for its support of this podcast series. Agronomy Matters and TopCon Agriculture application solutions make it work. From planning to precision machine control, NORAX, boom height control, monitoring and mapping, to data management, you have the total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your 4R nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit them at topconpositioning.com slash growing solutions. Well, water, while usually so beneficial to growers and their crops, is a common challenge for Southern Illinois growers, according to John Pike, former University of Illinois Extension educator and research agronomist. Through his research, John has gained insight on how implementing cover crop systems in conjunction with strip-till and no-till can increase maximum return on water and nutrient resources. Working for the last four years on a farmer-initiated project, initially funded by SARE in Illinois, John has tested and analyzed the effects of precision seeding different cover crop species in relationship to the row versus a broadcast application or drilling in a uniform mix. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast, John shares some of the results and research-based advice for pairing targeted cover cropping with conservation tillage to maximize water and nutrient retention. Some of the things that I'm going to talk about, a precision cover crop project that I've been involved with uh, for the the last few years, uh, and how that uh, management of cover crop kind of ties in to the bigger picture of nutrient management as a whole and why it's important. I know that as I uh, worked for the University of Illinois for 15 or 16 years, I finished out as a research agronomist. I managed the uh, Dixon Springs Research Farm, which is in far south Illinois, about 20 miles north of Paducah, Kentucky. Uh, We had a lot different uh, management issues to look at down there as opposed to what our uh, other research farms in central and northern Illinois did. And uh, transitioning out of that, I've been fortunate to continue to do a lot of regional uh, work, uh, research work through the uh, Illinois Fertilizer and Chemical Association with the Corn Growers Association uh, with some cover crop programs and other projects that are funded by our Nutrient Management Research and Education Council in the, in the state. So we'll kind of talk about how that all ties in with, the, with these other things. So one of the things that uh, has really interested me over the last few years is working on this cover crop uh, project with uh, Junior Upton. For those of you who have been involved in some of the, uh, especially the no-till conference and cover crops for a long time and kept up on that, the name Mike Plummer probably is is familiar with you. Mike started, he worked for the University of Illinois Extension for many years, uh, retired and then did consulting all over the world in the area of cover crops and conservation tillage 
tillage and especially no-till with Cover Crops Incorporated. And uh, he did a lot of his early work on the farm of Junior Upton where this project took, took place here. Uh, they did the original work with annual ryegrass as a, as a cover crop and discovered how annual ryegrass is suited to penetrate some of the fragipan soils that we deal with in southern Illinois, uh, southern Indiana, down into Kentucky and, and Tennessee. It's not an issue up here, but for our soils that are challenged by an impermeable soil layer that's down anywhere from a foot to 24 to, to 30 inches in, in a lot of cases, that's that was big uh, thing. So I've continued to do some of that work with Junior Upton on his farm, and Junior came up with this idea that he has been in, involved in uh, cover cropping and no-till for about 30 years plus on, on his farm. He's continuous uh, no-till and very intensive cover crops, planting green into material that's uh, taller than, than me, and he's figured out a way to, to do that. He uses a lot of uh, diversity in his cover crops, especially with vetch and annual ryegrass to add a lot of organic matter to the soil. So he's actually improved his soils over time over what the natural uh, state of that is. Uh, you dig a soil pit on his farm and you'll go down and you'll find this nice black layer like, like soil should be. And, and much like you would see if we would dig down six inches anywhere in, in central Illinois, the soils are very similar to that. Once we get down a little bit deeper th than that, uh, we get into these grays and tan and, and some, pretty, pr some pretty rough stuff, but that's on the surface of what everybody else is managing and what he has started to. So he came up with this idea and came to several of us that worked for the university at the, at the time that he was interested in putting together a SARE program to see if there was any uh, impact on not just broadcasting cover crop seeds or, or solid drilling them, but to see if we could precision plant uh, cover crops or various species of cover crops in relation to the corn row and make it easier for the, uh, the folks that needed to adopt. Because in the, in the big picture with nutrient management and some of the environmental issues that we see, it's very important that we do everything we can to control erosion. And we want to keep especially nitrogen and phosphorus in the system in, in our fields. And there was a lot of a resistance through the years in getting in people involved in no-till, let alone in jumping into no-till and a cover crop system too. So we need to find more manageable or easier ways for folks to make that transition because when we come to meetings like this and we talk to you folks, many of you have been involved in this for, for many years or have already adopted things or looking to, to fine tune your programs, but there's a lot of folks that haven't. So we're talking to the, to the early adopters many times with groups like this, but we need to get in and get some, see some movement in, in significance with the majority to follow to really see some impacts on water quality and the crop production impacts that we can see with long-term soil health and some of the things that Stephanie's talked about uh, in, in her talk. So in Junior's ideas in putting this plan together, we kind of worked 
with that on, okay, what can we do to put together a system or a, a test systems that could help just the normal average uh, farmer that was interested in doing things better but had faced some challenges in moving in that direction, or maybe it was a challenge in the, in the mind and resistance to moving in there, what can we do to make these things easier? So that, that kind of was the basis of the, of the project. And if nothing else, we did get some nice pictures out of this. So down, down in that area, we have worked to plant uh, early bean in front of where we do the cover crop projects before the corn. So he's planting a mid-group two bean in our area, which is very early from there, but we're still getting very good yields for that by picking the right uh, variety. So we're able to get our beans harvested in this in this plot area uh, sometime in, the, in early to mid-September so we can get a cover crop planted in time to where we can establish legumes like the crimson clover that, that's shown here, along with the annual ryegrass and the other, other species that we, that we use. So some of the challenges that we deal with in, in Southern Illinois, water is, is a big one. We've got poor drainage, uh, we've got poor water availability, we've got low infiltration, all of these things compacted with Fragipan soils and the challenges that, uh, that they pr present to us. Uh, we're dealing in, in rolling, highly erodible soils. So we've got a lot of things that are, that are uh, challenges to us, but we've, we've kind of figured out a way to overcome these in many cases with intensive cover crop management and no-till. And I think that this has a good uh, implication for strip tillers also to, add, to uh, enter into these, uh, in, in, enter into these uh, systems. So the difference, you know, we've, a lot of places we, you think of poor drainage in place that holds water. Well, the difference between us being in a water soak situation in our soil to a drought is somewhere between 15 and 20 minutes. So we transition very, very quick in these, uh, in these soils. So we've got to do everything we can to increase the water infiltration to help that water move through the root system, but, but maximize the available water that we have for a growing crop because the soils uh, in a heavy tillage situation, uh, they're high clay content, we get a lot of crusting, the water will go off and take the uh, topsoil, what, what little is left in some places with us, and then leave dry roots underneath. So these are the things that we're, we're fighting against. So along with this project, we've, we ended up with some pretty nice pictures, if, if nothing else. And somebody told me early in my career, no better than I look, I need to do things that pr pr produce good pictures because that takes the, the focus off of me. And I think we've done that in this situation pretty good. So it's been a neat thing to, to work with. And you can see that we've got strips in there. These strips in the, in the center of the row, we go with very high rates of mixes. So that, that would have uh, cereal rye and annual ryegrass in a mix. And there's some clover in there as well. And then in the, in the next situation, uh, there we've, we have just the clover alone, and then you can kind of see some strips running through there, and that's where the, where the corn is going. In some cases, those strips we leave blank. In other cases, we plant mixes of uh, cover crops that are winter terminated, so they die out to, to uh, leave that strip there. So I think that this has been an important thing in because we've got just about everybody's got a planter that's set up that is capable of no-tilling very effectively into straight soybean stubble without any, any cover crop there. So we've, if we can minimize the residue 
that, that we have to deal with. We're going to do a lot better job, in it for, especially for the, the newcomer coming into this system, to be able to close that seed trench and establish a good stand. If we, can, if we can establish a good stand in no-till, we can have yields that are comparable with any type of a tillage system and better as we move into that system and get the soil system more in a, in a mature balance. And I think that in, in, in the case is something that we need to think about from a research standpoint is that a lot of the comparisons that we see where no-till or cover crops is compared in any type of a research project, especially in a university setting, is that we're looking at first, first year entry into a no-till management or cover crop management. And that kind of throws a, a, a wrench into the system in a lot of cases because we're taking a soil that is used to being intensively tilled, then we take that away and then we're adding these other things into, into that. And it's hard to make those comparisons because as Stephanie pointed out, it takes some time to get the biology of the, of the soil built in. It takes time to get the, the earthworm populations and all the advantages that comes into that back into the system. So if we're doing really valid research with cover crops and, and no-till to look at the impacts of the crops that we're growing, we need to look beyond that three-year normal uh, funding cycle for most academic research projects. We need to go look at opportunities to where we can put together funding to look at five-year windows, if not longer, or look for cooperators like Junior Uptons and some of the early adopters on this. So we're doing this research on mature soil systems to where we're really uh, doing a good job of comparing those things because I think a lot of the times when we see university researchers get up in front of a group and talk about their experiences with no-till and cover crops in getting, in start, getting started into those systems, there's a lot of negativity that comes out in the statistics that's shown and they're reporting what they find. There's no argument there, but we're not really making a fair comparisons because if we look at a system like this, this field that we're doing this project on has been in intensive no-till cover crop management for eight to 10 years, depending on the field that we rotate uh, to on each side of the, of the buildings. He's got other ground that has been in this system for 25 to 35 years, so we can kind of make some comparisons there too. So I guess that's one thing that I would uh, I try to caution people on as they evaluate the information that they get from wherever the research project comes from, you know, ask the question and find out, is this something that we're taking a conventional tilled field and we're plugging cover crops and we're starting out in first year no-till in, or is it something that has been in the system to where we're really making a good, uh, a good comparison to this? And if it is something like that to where it's a first or second year transition, we kind of need to make sure that we're picking out the good from the bad there because it doesn't always give us a, a true picture of, of what's going on. We'll get back to our discussion shortly, but I wanted to once again thank our sponsor, TopCon Agriculture, for making this podcast series possible and welcome in Dr. Ray Acevedo, former assistant professor of precision agriculture at Kansas State University and consultant for TopCon Agriculture. In this week's technology tips from Dr. Ray, he discusses the influence that companies like Microsoft will have on breaking down data silos in precision ag. How many people here have a PC with Windows on it? 
I guarantee you when they see the farm and all these different sensors we're talking about and what we're doing, they view it no differently. But the deal that they had as a complication, why they did not enter five years ago as opposed to today, when they have officially entered into the ag market now, or the release of this kind of product, is because they're now getting the hardware and the connectivity devices to where they can get everything connected together. And they're going to do proof of concepts to show that their stuff works. Then after that, they feel that other partners will fall in line. But at the end of the day, when we start up our farm 1.0, you see a little Windows sign on the, on the front screen. They see the huge opportunity with this. But what's, what's the issue for us? Dependency, right? What would we do if we didn't have Windows on our PC or your Mac OS on your Apple? You wouldn't be able to use it. We're basically concreted to that one platform. And so this makes them your foundation for your dig digital ag operation. It also makes it difficult to migrate onto a different system. Because you're so intertwined to it, it becomes painful to change. And a big goal of these systems is data acquisition. They want to know what's going on on the farm. There's tons of different things companies can do with that kind of information. But this is not new. I kind of imagine Apple's listening to my conversation right now. So we get very concerned about data privacy without even on the farm, without even thinking about a lot of these things listen to us anyway. I don't know how many times I was talking to my wife that I thought was private and then Alexa turned on and started to respond. I was like, what the hell are you doing? So, freaked my wife out. What's good about it? I always like to start with the doom, and then we'll go to the, the cool. Except for, except for him, he doesn't like it. <laughs> What's good about it? That IoT infrastructure that these other companies are bringing in waves or forcing change across the ag industry, is it removes the silos, which is huge for us. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from John Pike about the recent research he's conducted on Junior Upton's farm. To start out with this thing, uh, Mr. Upton is quite the, the inventor, and we started planning this project about six years ago now. By the time we got the, the grant proposal written, we turned it in, and they went through the evaluation. We got the funding to actually start this, so we're in our fourth year of the corn crop right now, but it, we started a, about a year and a half ahead of that to get the, the project put together. So at that time, we were trying to think about what type of planting equipment do we, do, do we use to plant the plots, like I've showed the picture, to segregate the different mixes or cover crop species uh, in relation to the, to the row, because if you take a regular seven and a half or a seven and a half inch spacing drill, the way that the alignment is set up on that, we've got to offset to make that to where we've got a row that matches up on, the, on where the corn row is. So basically what, what he did, he built something that is on the, the alignment of an interseeder that we can go and we can buy interseeders now. Well, this is something that at the time, if that was available, we had never seen that. So he took some uh, older uh, international planter units and he outfitted that on there so we've got, you can see the different seed hoppers up there. So we're planning using this for a plot so we didn't need a very big thing. So we've got two up in the front, these two that would lead 
they plant cover crops that would go where the corn row is going to go. In these, these second one row here, that's going to plant seven and a half inches on each side of the, of the corn row. And then the ones in the back, they're going to plant a cover crop mix that would go in the dead, dead center of the row. So 15 inches off of the off of the corn row. So, you know, now if we're, we're doing this, and I think next year we're going to work with the new uh, soil fertility professor at Southern Illinois University. They have a 10-foot interseeder, so we're going to work with that interseeder in the box and some of the small seed attachments on that to do this same thing, but instead of doing the small plot replicated work, we're going to do full-scale uh, field strips on that and, and move forward with less treatment. So there's been a lot of interest in this. We've had two field days over the last four years. Uh, in, in combination with those field days, we've had 400 uh, plus people that have, that have shown up for this. Uh, you know, a lot of interest in going out in the field and looking at these things because it's kind of a, a different alignment. It's also nice to go out and have field days. This was early, this was the first week of March and it was, we'd had an inch and a half of rain before that. But if you have your field days in cover crop fields, you can walk out in them. You don't get muddy. You don't have to have hip boots to get out there and wash everybody off. So, you know, it's kind of a nice environment to, to do these things. Uh, we had a pretty good uh, good panel. That's Junior Upton right there. Uh, Lloyd Murdoch from the University of Kentucky was up, Barry Fisher, and Dwayne Rozier, which is a, a local farmer there that has also been in the long-term no-till systems for about 35 years on his farm doing some of these things. So. Our check on this, uh, uh, this project, we use just straight uh, no-till into soybean stubble without a cover crop. But in this case, you know, all of this had had cover crop on it. So when we're doing the comparisons from the check to any of our cover crop treatments, we're actually seeing the interaction or the lack of that as the cover crop, not as looking at it from a traditional conventionally tilled soil into, into something else. So we, we've been able to kind of bypass that. This shows the way we've got our plot replicated. We've, we're doing three reps. Uh, we've did, done this in, uh, it's all randomized, just like a university study here. The different colors would show that the same, uh, the same cover crop mix, so they're kind of mixed up in there. We've looked at a number of different things. The, the rows run across this way, we're looking at four row plots that are 50 foot uh, long, and then where the blue arrows are, there's a 50 foot gap in there that kind of helps us get, get a line from, uh, from plot to, to plot. So this kind of shows some of the layout of the way this, uh, this has worked. We've got in the, in the middle of the, of the corn row, we've got the cereal rye, annual rye, and a clover mix. Right next to that is straight crimson clover. And then in this case, we've got oats that are seeded here that would winter kill out. So we'll end up with a, with a skip or the strip to plant the corn into there. And I've got some yield information there, but as the, as the skip dies out, you know, we've got things to go in. So we're planting into just a straight no-till conditions. And it's, you know, it's easy. We're, and we're doing this not with $300,000 plot planters either. I've got a, a four row plot planter. They're old style Kinsey units on an Almaco research frame. Uh, we've got no-till colders in the front. I don't have all the fancy down pressure and all those add-ons on that. So think simple, early Kinsey models or John Deere 7000 type thing. So we were wanting to do this in a way 
to where we, and we put every disadvantage that we could to this as far as late planting, we're terminating when it, planting when it's green and terminating after that. So anything that we could do to not give our bias a, an advantage in that, we, we have done uh, to make sure that this is something that we can talk about and recommend with confidence that any farmer around that was going to try this could do. Now, I don't think it's necessary in a lot of cases to worry about segregating the, the species of the cover crops in a lot of cases. This has been really neat. I think if we can do something like that, there's some advantages to that. But I think from a simplicity standpoint, if we could start out with some of our conservation districts or somebody was looking to look into these things and or incorporate it with strip-till or a straight no-till situation, look at plugging off some boxes in our drill, maybe offsetting with RTK, depending on what we're doing, and just leave blank strips through the field that we can come back in and plant into next year. And I think that's a pretty good entryway for folks to, to look at. So, you know, our, and, and another thing with that, our strip till opportunities, they are going to change depending on what type of geography that, that we're dealing with. Strip till has a very good fit for our central Illinois uh, soils where we've got flat fields and you know any place like that because when we put look into the rolling fields that we have into southern Illinois some of the situations that we have in Missouri and other states to the south where we've got highly erodible soils that kind of go in different directions you know it's hard to make a strip work in there because that strip is just a natural way to route water so we can have, have our uh, strips wash out, we can lose nutrients, we can cause problems in the field. So in some cases, the no-till application with this has a little bit better fit. But I think in, in situations like we have in central Illinois, Iowa, uh, Indiana, you know, in the, in the heart of the Corn Belt where we're dealing with the flatter, blacker soils, especially where we've got good tile drainage and we've got dark soils that warm up quick, we don't want anything that we do with no-till or a, a cover crop system to impede our ability to take advantage of early planting dates that we can get on, on these uh, soils and the ability of those soils to warm up early. So in that case, the strip-till, I think, really shines. But in order to, to really get the most out of the strip-till system, especially as it kind of revolves around these nutrient management issues, it's very important that we incorporate the cover crop into this. And that way, we can kind of get the best of both worlds. Because if we're just strip-tilling and we're leaving the middles without any, any cover on them, well, we're not getting the maximum return on that resource that, that we have, okay? If we can get some benefits out of improved water infiltration into the, into the, middles of the middle of the rows, you know, when we're in strip till, we put all of our emphasis on that tillage pass, what we're doing. I think with cover crops incorporated in, in with that, yes, the corn row is very important, but a lot of the good tillage equipment that we've got demonstrated out here in the hallway, that's going to allow us to do that very effectively, but let's look at managing that zone in between the rows and get some return off of that. And with better water infiltration, some nutrient additions that, that we can see with that, organic milled up and that the live root 
uh, situation and helping the soil biology improve in that across the field is really going to be a, a leg up. So, you know, I think that the, the strip till in that area, uh, the, the better areas of Illinois, and to help improve some of our conservation uh, management and get away from the full scale uh, heavy tillage that causes a lot of erosion. And I, you know, I, we don't think of, of our flat grounds uh, around here being highly erodible and, and they're not from a soil classification standpoint, but when we've got ground that, that's worked up like a lettuce bed in November and it's gonna sit all the way through until March or April when we think about corn planting or getting back in the field, there's a lot of, of, of erosion that happens and takes place in these flatter soils. Uh, we've had problems with dust storms, uh, there's ditches that need cleaned out and a whole bunch of issues. So anything that we can do to, uh, to help that, those issues is gonna be better. When we get down here in my neighborhood in Southern Illinois, and you know, we, Illinois is a, is a long state. I live just a little bit south of that, where that arrow is. The farm where we're uh, working on the project is in Hamilton County that is about straight across the river from Evansville, Indiana. Uh, about 30 miles or, or so. And w from down here, it's closer for me to go to Atlanta, Georgia down here than it is to drive to the Wisconsin border. So there's just a lot of latitude that we're dealing with in, in the state of, uh, of Illinois. And you know, a lot of times it's more fun to drive to Atlanta than it is to Rockford. So, but you know, we've got a, there, there's a lot of state to, uh, to cover in these situations. And down in our area, you know, these types of applications married in with, uh, with no-till is just a better, better fit with us. Well, thank you, John, for sharing some results and tips on putting a precision cover cropping strategy to work. And again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, Topcon Agriculture, for helping make this strip-till farmer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessetermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. You can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free strip-till strategies daily e-blast. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at striptill F-A-R-M-R and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again for the next episode in our 2019 podcast series. For John Pike, Topcon Agriculture, and our entire staff here with Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Jack Zemlicka. Thanks for listening. <laughs>